Story One of Reteeth, Intergalactic Diplomat in Space. It reads short sci fi, volume five. Reteeth of the Red Tape Mountain by Keith Laumer. It's true, Consul Passwin said. I requested assignment as principal officer at a small post, but I had in mind one of those charming resort worlds with only an occasional visa problem, or perhaps a distressed spaceman or two a year. Instead, I'm zookeeper to these confounded settlers, and not for one world, mind you, but eight. He stared glumly at Vice Consul Retief. Still, Retief said, it gives an opportunity to travel. Travel? Consul barked. I hate travel, here in this backwater system particularly. He paused, blinked to Retief, and cleared his throat. Not that a bit of travel isn't an excellent thing for a junior officer. Marvellous experience. He turned to the war screen and pressed a button. System trigram appeared. Eight luminous green dots arranged around a larger disk, representing the primary. He picked up a pointer, indicating the innermost planet. The situation on Adobe is near in crisis. The confounded settlers, a mere handful of them, have managed, as usual, to stir up trouble with an intelligent indigenous life form, the Jack. I can't think why they bother, merely for a few oases among the endless deserts. However, I have at last received authorization from sector headquarters to take certain action. He swung back to face Retief. I'm sending you in to handle the situation, Retief, under sealed orders. He picked up a fat, buff envelope. Pretty didn't see fit to order terrestrial settlers out weeks ago, as I suggested. Now it's too late. I'm expected to produce a miracle, a rapprochement between terrestrial and adoban, and a division of territory. Sidiotic. However, failure would look very bad on my record, so I shall expect results. He passed the buff envelope across to Retief. I understand that Adobe was uninhabited, Retief said until the terrestrial settlers arrived. Apparently that was an erroneous impression. Passman fixed Retief with a watery eye. He'll follow your instructions to the letter. In a delicate situation such as this, there must be no impulsive, impromptu element introduced. This approach has been worked out in detail at Sector. You need merely implement it. Is that entirely clear? Has anyone at headquarters ever visited Adobe? Of course not. They all hate travel. If there are no other questions, you'd best be on your way. The mail run departs the dome in less than an hour. What's this native life form like? Retief asked, getting to his feet. When you get back, said Passwin, you tell me. The mail pilot, a leathery veteran with quarter-inch whiskers, spat toward a stained corner of the compartment, leaned close to the screen. They shootin' going on down there, he said. See them white puffs over the edge of the desert. I'm supposed to be preventing the war, said Retief. Looks like I'm a little late. The pilot's head snapped around. War? he yelped. Nobody told me there was a war going on on Dolby. If that's what this is, I'm getting out of here. Hold on, said Retief. I've got to get down. They won't shoot at you. I sure won't, sonny. I ain't giving them the chance. He started punching keys on the console. Retief reached out, caught his wrist. Maybe you didn't hear me. I said I've got to get down. The pilot plunged against the restraint, swung a punch that Retief blocked casually. Are you nuts? the pilot screeched. Plenty of shooting going on for me to see it fifty miles out. The mail must go through, you know. Okay, you're so dead certain getting killed, you take the skiff. I'll take him to pick up the remains next trip. You're a pal. I'll take your offer. The pilot jumped to the lifeboat hatch and cycled it open. Get in. We're closing fast. And birds might take it into their heads to lob one this way. Retief crawled into the narrow cockpit of the skiff, glanced over the controls. The pilot ducked out of sight, came back handed Retief a heavy, old-fashioned power pistol. Long as you're going in, might as well take this. Thanks. Retief shoved the pistol in his belt. I hope you're wrong. I'll see they pick you up when the shooting's over, one way or another. 
The hatch clanked shut. A moment later there was a jar as the skiff dropped away, followed by heavy buffeting in the backwash from the departing mailboat. Retief watched the tiny screen, hands on the manual controls. It was dropping rapidly, forty miles, thirty-nine. A crimson blip showed on the screen, moving out. Retief felt sweat pop out on his forehead. The red blip meant heavy radiation from a warhead. Somebody was playing around with an outlaw, but by no means unheard of fission weapon. But maybe it was just on a high trajectory and had no connection with the skiff. Retief altered course to the south. The blip followed. He checked instrument readings, gripped the controls, watching. This was going to be tricky. The missile bored closer. At five miles, Retief threw the light skiff into maximum acceleration, straight toward the oncoming bomb. Crushed back in the padded seat, he watched the screen, correcting course minutely. The proximity fuse should be set for no more than a thousand yards. At a combined speed of two miles per second, the skiff flashed past the missile, and Retief was slammed violently against the restraining harness in the concussion of the explosion, a mile astern and harmless. Then the planetary surface was rushing up with frightening speed. Retief shook his head, kicked in the emergency retrodrive. Punch of light arced up from the planet face below. If they were ordinary chemical warheads, the skiff's meteor screens should handle them. The screen flashed brilliant white, then went dark. The skiff flipped on its back. Smoke filled the tiny compartment. There was a series of shocks, a final bone-shaking concussion, then stillness, broken by the ping of hot metal contracting. Coughing, Retief disengaged himself from the shock webbing. He beat out sparks in his lap, groped underfoot for the hatch and wrenched it open. A wave of hot jungle air struck him. He lowered himself to a bed of shattered foliage, got to his feet, and dropped flat as a bullet whined past his ear. He lay listening. Stealthy movements were audible from the left. He inched his way to the shelter of a broad-boled dwarf tree. Somewhere a sun lizard burbled. Whining insects circled. Scented alien life buzzed off. There was another rustle of foliage from the underbrush five yards away. A bush quivered, then a low bough dipped. Retief edged back around the trunk, eased down behind a fallen log. A stocky man in grimy leather shirt and shorts appeared, moving cautiously, a pistol in his hand. As he passed, Retief rose, leaped to the log, and tackled him. They went down together. The stranger gave one short yell, then struggled in silence. Retief flipped him onto his back, raised a fist. Hey, the settler yelled. You're as human as I am. Maybe I'll look better after a shave, said Retief. What's the idea of shooting at me? Let me up. My name's Potter. Sorry about that. I figured it was a flapjack boat. Looks just like him. I took a shot when I saw something move. Didn't know it was a terrestrial. Who are you? What you doing here? We're pretty close to the edge of the oases. That's flapjack country over there. He waved a hand toward the north, where the desert lay. I'm glad you're a poor shot. Missile was too close for comfort. Missile, eh? Must be a flapjack artillery. We got nothing like that. I heard there was a full-fledged war brewing, said Retief. I didn't expect. Good, Potter said. We figured a few of you boys from Ivory would be joining up when you heard. You are from Ivory. Yes, I'm. Hey, you must be Lemuel's cousin. Good night. I pity near made a bad mistake. Lemuel's a tough man to explain something to. I'm. Keep your head down. These damn flapjacks have got some wicked hand weapons. Come on. He moved off silently on all fours. Reedy followed. They crossed two hundred yards of rough country before Potter got to his feet, took out a soggy bandana and mopped his face. You move good for a city man. I thought you folks in Ivory just sat under those domes and red dials. But I guess being Lemuel's cousin, you was raised different. As a matter of fact, I have to get you some real clothes, though those city duds don't stand up in Dolby. 
Waitief looked down at the charred, torn, and sweat-soaked powder-blue blazer and slacks. This outfit seemed pretty rough and ready back home, he said, but I guess leather has its points. Let's get on back to camp, or just about make it by sundown. And look, don't say anything to Lemuel about me thinking you were a flapjack. I won't, but Potter was on his way, loping off up a gentle slope. Retief pulled off a sudden blazer, dropped it over a bush, added to string tie, and followed Potter. Chapter 2 Well, damn glad you're here, mister said a fat man with two revolvers belted across his paunch. I can use every hand. We're in bad shape. We ran into the slapjacks three months ago, and we haven't made a smart move since. First we thought there were a native farm we hadn't run into before. Fact is, one of the boys shot one, thinking it was fair game. I guess that was the start of it. He stirred the fire, added a stick. And then a bunch of them hit Swayze's farm here, Potter said. Killed two of his cattle and pulled back. I figured they thought the cows were people, said Swayze. They were out of range. How could anyone think of cows, folks? Another man put in. They don't look nothing like... Don't be so dumb, Bert, said Swayze. They've never seen Terry's before. They know better now. Bert chuckled. Sure do. We showed them the next time, didn't we, Potter? Got four. They walked right up to my place a couple of days after the first time, Swayze said. We were ready for them. Peppered them good. They cut and run. Flopped, you mean? Ugliest looking critters you ever saw. Look just like an old piece of dirty blanket humping around. I've been going on this way ever since. They raid and then we raid, and lately they've been bringing some big stuff into it. They've got some kind of pint-sized airships and automatic rifles. We lost four men now and a dozen more in the freezer waiting for the med ship. We can't afford it. The colony's got less than 300 able-bodied men. But we're hanging on to our farms, said Potter. All these oases are old seabeds, a mile deep, solid topsoil, and there's a couple of hundred others we haven't touched yet. The flapjacks won't get them while there's a man alive. The whole system needs the food we can raise, Bert said. These farms we're trying to start won't be enough, but they'll help. We've been yelling for help to the CDT over in Ivory, said Potter, but you know these embassy stooges. We heard they were sending some kind of bureaucrat in here to tell us to get out and give the oasis to the flapjacks, said Swayze. He tightened his mouth. We're waiting for him. Meanwhile, we got reinforcements coming up, eh, boys? Bert winked at Retief. We put out the word back home. We all got relatives on Ivory and Verdi. Shut up, you damn fool, a deep voice grated. Lame me well, Potter said. Nobody else could sneak up on us like that. If I'd been a flapjack, I'd have bet you alive, newcomer said, moving into the ring of fire. A tall, broad-faced man in grimy leather. He eyed Retief. Who's that? What do you mean? Potter spoke in a silence. He's your cousin. He ain't no cousin of mine, Lemuel said slowly. He stepped to Retief. Who you spying for, stranger? He rasped. Retief got to his feet. I think I should explain. A short-nosed automatic appeared in Lemuel's hand, a clashing note against his fringed buckskins. Skip the talk. I know a fink when I see one. Just for a change, I'd like to finish the sentence, said Retief, and I suggest you put your courage back in your pocket before it bites you. You talk too damn fancy to suit me. Maybe, but I'm talking to suit me. Now for the last time, put it away. Lemuel stared at Retief. You give me orders. Retief's left fist shut out, smacked Lemuel's face dead center. He stumbled back, blood starting from his nose. The pistol fired into the dirt as he dropped it. He caught himself, jumped for Retief, and made a straight right that snapped him onto his back, out cold. Well, said Potter, the stranger took lame in two punches. 
One, said Swayze. That first one was just a love tap. Bert froze. Hark, boys, he whispered. In a sudden silence, the night lizard called. Beatty strained, heard nothing. He narrowed his eyes, peered past the fire. With a swift lunge, he seized up the bucket of drinking water, dashed it over the fire, threw himself flat. He heard the others hit the dirt a split second before him. You move fast for a steady man, breathed Swayze beside him. You see pretty good, too. We're split and taken from two sides. You and Bert from the left, me and Potter from the right. No, said Retief. You wait here. I'm going out alone. What's the idea? Later. Sit tight and keep your eyes open. Retief took a bearing on a treetop, faintly visible against the sky, and started forward. Five minutes' stealthy progress brought him to a slight rise of ground. With infinite caution, he raised himself, risking a glance over an outcropping of rock. The stunted trees ended just ahead. Beyond, he could make out the dim contour of rolling desert, flapjack country. He got to his feet, clambered over the stone, still hot after a day of tropical heat, and moved forward twenty yards. Around him he saw nothing but drifted sand, palely visible in the starlight, and the occasional shadow of jutting shale slabs. Behind him the jungle was still. He sat down on the ground to wait. It was ten minutes before movement caught his eye. Something had separated itself from a dark mass of stone, glided across a few yards of open ground to another shelter. Retief watched. Minutes passed. The ship moved again, slipped into a shadow ten foot distant. Retief felt the butt of the power pistol with his elbow. His guess had better be right this time. There was a sudden rasp, like leather against concrete, and a flurry of sand as the flapjack charged. Retief rolled aside, then lunged, threw his weight on the flapping flapjack. The yard square, three inches thick at the centre and all muscle. The ray-like creature heaved up, curled backwards, its edge ripping to stand on the flattened rim of its encircling sphincter. It scrabbled with prehensile fringe tentacles for a grip on Wheatie's shoulders. He wrapped his arms around the alien and struggled to his feet. The thing was heavy, a hundred pounds at least. Fighting as it was, it seemed more like five hundred. The flapjack reversed its tactics, went limp. Wheatie grabbed, felt a thumb slip into an orifice. The alien went wild. Retief hung on, dug the thumb in deeper. Sorry, fellow, he muttered between clenched teeth. I guarding isn't gentlemanly, but it's effective. The flapjack fell still, only its fringes rippling slowly. Retief relaxed the pressure of his thumb. The alien gave a tentative jerk. The thumb dug in. The alien went limp again, waiting. Now we understand each other, said Retief. Take me to your leader. Twenty minutes' walk into the desert brought Retief to a low rampart of thorn branches. The flapjacks out a defensive line against Terry Ferrays. It would be as good a place as any to wait for the move by the flapjacks. He sat down and eased the weight of his captive off his back, but kept a firm thumb in place. If his analysis of the situation was correct, a flapjack picket should be along before too long. A penetrating beam of red light struck Retief in the face, blinked off. He got to his feet. The captive flapjack rippled its fringe in an agitated way. Retief tensed his thumb in the eye socket. Sit tight, he said. Don't try to do anything hasty. His remarks falling on deaf ears. Oh, no ears at all, but the thumb spoke as loudly as words. There was a slither of sand. Another. He made me aware of a ring of presences drawing closer. Retief tightened his grip on the alien. He could see a dark shape now, looming up almost to his own six-three. It looked like the flapjacks came in all sizes. A low rumble sounded like a deep-throated growl. It strummed on, faded out. Retief cocked his head, frowning. Try it two octaves higher, he said. Oh, sorry. Is that better? A clear voice came from the darkness. 
That's fine, Weezy said. I'm here to arrange a prisoner exchange. Prisoners? But we have no prisoners. Sure you have. Me. Is it a deal? Ah, oh, yes, of course. Quite equitable. What guarantees do you require? The word of a gentleman is sufficient. Retief released the alien. It flopped once, disappeared into the darkness. If you'd care to accompany me to our headquarters, the vice said, we can discuss our mutual concerns in comfort. Delighted. Red lights blinked briefly. Retief glimpsed a gap in the thorny barrier, stepped through it. He followed dim shapes across warm sand to a low cave-like entry, faintly lit with a reddish glow. Must apologize for the awkward design of our comfort tone, said the voice. Had we known we would be honored by a visit? Think nothing of it, Retief said. We diplomats are trained to crawl. Inside, with knees bent and head ducked under the five-foot ceiling, Retief looked around at the walls of pink-toned nacre, a floor-like burgundy-colored glass spread with silken rugs and a low table of polished red granite that stretched down the center of the spacious room, set out with silver dishes and rose-crystal drinking tubes. Chapter 3 Let me congratulate you, the voice said. Retief turned. An immense flapjack, hung with crimson trappings, rippled at his side. The vice issued from a disc strapped to its back. You fight well. I think we were finding each other worthy adversaries. Thanks. I'm sure the test will be interesting, but I'm hoping we can avoid it. Avoid it? Retief heard a low humming coming from the speaker in the silence. Well, let us dine, the mighty flapjack said at last. We can resolve these matters later. I am called Hoshik of the Mosaic of the Two Dawns. I'm Retief, Hoshik waited expectantly. Of the Mountain of Red Tape, Retief added. Take place, Retief, said Hoshik. I hope you won't find our rude couches uncomfortable. Two other large flapjacks came into the room, communed silently with Hoshik. Pray forgive our lack of translating devices, he said to Retief. Permit me to introduce my colleagues. A small flapjack rippled the chamber, bearing on its back a silver tray laden with aromatic food. The waiter served the four diners, filled the drinking tubes with yellow wine. It smelled good. I trust you'll find these dishes palatable, said Hoshik. Our metabolisms are much alike, I believe. Retief tried the food. It had a delicious nut-like flavor. The wine was indistinguishable from Chateau d'Iquem. It was an unexpected pleasure to encounter your party here, said Hoshik. I confess at first we took you for an indigenous earth-grubbing form, but we soon disabused of that notion. He raised a tube, manipulating it deftly with his fringe tentacles. Retief returned the salute and drank. Of course, Hoshik continued. As soon as we realized that you were sportsmen like ourselves, we attempted to make amends by providing a bit of activity for you. We've ordered out our heavier equipment and a few trained skirmishers, and soon we'll be able to give you an adequate show. Or so, I hope. Additional skirmishers, said Retief. How many, if you don't mind my asking? For the moment, perhaps only a few hundred. Thereafter, well, I'm sure we can arrange that between us. Personally, I'd prefer a contest of limited scope. No nuclear or radiation-effect weapons. Such a bore, screening the spawn for deviations. Though I confess we've come upon some remarkably useful sports. A ranger form such as you made captive, for example. Simple-minded, of course, but a fantastically keen tracker. Oh, by all means, Retief said. No atomics. As you pointed out, spawn sorting is a nuisance, and then, too, it's a wasteful of troops. Ah, well, they are, after all, expendable. But we agree, no atomics. Have you tried to ground guac eggs? Well, they're a specialty of my mosaic. 
delicious, said Retief. I wonder, have you considered eliminating weapons altogether? A scratchy sound issued from the disc. Pardon my laughter, Yoshik said, but surely you jest. As a matter of fact, said Retief, we ourselves seldom use weapons. I seem to recall that our first contact of skirmish forms involved the use of a weapon by one of your units. My apologies, said Retief. The, uh, the skirmish form failed to recognize that he was dealing with a sportsman. Still, now that we have commenced so merrily with weapons... Hushik signaled and the servant refilled tubes. There is an aspect I haven't yet mentioned, Retief went on. I hope you won't take this personally, but the fact is our skirmish forms think of weapons as something one employs only in dealing with certain specific life forms. Oh? Curious. What forms are those? Vermin, or varmints as some call them. Deadly antagonists, but lacking in caste. I don't want our skirmish forms thinking of such worthy adversaries as yourself as varmints. Dear me, I hadn't realized, of course. Most considerate of you to point it out. Hushik clucked in dismay. I see that skirmish forms are much the same among you as with us, lacking in perception. He laughed scratchily. Imagine considering us as, what was the word, varmints. Which brings us to the crux of the matter. You see, we're up against a serious problem with regard to skirmish forms, a low birth rate. Therefore, we've reluctantly taken to substitutes for the mass action so dear to the heart of the sportsman. We've attempted to put an end to these contests altogether. Hoshik coughed explosively, sending a spray of wine into the air. What are you saying? he gasped. Are you proposing that Hoshik of the Mosaic of the Two Dawns abandon honor? Sir! said Retief sternly. You forget yourself. I, Retief of the Red Tape Mountain, make an alternate proposal, more in keeping with the newest sporting principles. New, cried Hoshik. My dear Retief, what a pleasant surprise. I'm enthralled with novel modes. One gets so out of touch. Do elaborate. It's quite simple, really. Each side selects a representative, and the two individuals settle the issues between them. I, uh, oh, I don't understand. What possible significance could one attach to the activities of a couple of random skirmish forms? I haven't made myself clear, said Retief. He took a sip of wine. We don't involve the skirmish forms at all. That's quite passé. You don't mean... That's right. You and me. Outside on the starlit sand, Retief tossed aside the power pistol, followed it with the leather shirt Swayze had lent him. By the faint light, he could just make out the towering figure of the flapjack rearing up before him, his trappings gone. A silent rank of flapjack retainers were grouped behind him. I fear I must lay aside the translator now, Retief, said Hulshik. He sighed and rippled his fringe tentacles. My spawn fellows will never credit this. Such a curious turn fashion has taken. How much more pleasant it is to observe the action of the skirmish forms from a distance. I suggest we use Tennessee rules, said Retief. They're very liberal. Biting, gouging, stomping, kneeing, and, of course, choking, as well as the usual punching, shoving, and kicking. Hmm. These gambits seem geared to forms employing rigid endoskeletons. I fear I shall be at a disadvantage. Of course, Wheatie said, if you'd prefer a more plebeian type of contest. By no means. But perhaps we could rule out tentacle twisting just to even it? Very well. Shall we begin? With a rush, Hoshik threw himself at Retief, who ducked, whirled, and leaped on a flapjack's back and felt himself flipped clear by a mighty ripple of the alien's slab-like body. Retief rolled aside as Hoshik turned on him. He jumped to his feet and threw a right haymaker to Hoshik's midsection. The alien whipped his left fringe around in an arc that connected with Retief's jaw, sent him spinning onto his back, and Hoshik's weight struck him. Retief twisted, tried to roll. The flat body of the alien blanketed him. He worked an arm free, drumming blows on the leathery back. Hoshik nestled closer. 
Ritu's air was running out. He heaved up against the smothering weight. Nothing budged. It was like burial under a dump truck load of concrete. He remembered the ranger farm he had captured. The sensitive orifice had been placed ventrally in what would be the thoracic area. He groped for a tough hide set with horny granules. He would be missing skin tomorrow, if there was a tomorrow. His thumb found the orifice and probed. The flapjack recoiled. Reteeth held fast, probed deeper, groping with the other hand. If the alien were bilaterally symmetrical, there would be a set of ready-made handholds. There were. Retief dug in, Flapjack writhed, pulled away. Retief held on, scrambled to his feet, threw his weight against the alien and fell on top of him, still gouging. Hoshik rippled his fringe wildly, flopped in terror, then went limp. Retief relaxed, released his hole and got to his feet, breathing hard. Hoshik humped himself over into his ventral side, lifted and moved gingerly over to the sidelines. His retainers came forward, assisted him into his trappings, strapped on the translator. He sighed heavily, adjusted the volume. There is much to be said for the old system, he said. What a burden one's sportsmanship places on one at times. Great sport, wasn't it? said Retief. Now I know he'd be eager to continue, if you'll just wait while I run back and fetch some of our gouger forms. May high ticks devour the gouger forms, Hoshik bellowed. You give me such a sprung ache as I'll remember each spawning time for a year. Speaking of high ticks, said Retief, we've developed a biter form. Enough! Hoshik roared so loudly that the translator bounced on his side. Suddenly I yearned for the crowded yellow sands of Jack. I had hoped, he broke off, drew a rasping breath. I had hoped, Retief, he said, speaking sadly now, to find a new land here, where I might plan my own mosaic to these alien sands and bring forth such a crop of paradise lichen as should glut the markets of a hundred worlds. But my spirit is not equal to the prospect of biterforms and gaudroforms without end. I am shamed before you. To tell you the truth, I'm old-fashioned myself. I'd rather watch the action from a distance, too. But surely your spawn fellows would never condone such an attitude. But surely your spawn fellows would never condone such an attitude. My spawn fellows aren't here. And besides, didn't I mention it? No one who's really in the know would think of engaging in competition by mere combat if there were any other way. Now you mentioned tilling the sand, raising lichens, things like that. That on which we dined but now, said Hoshik, and from which the wine is made. The big news in fashionable diplomacy today is farming competition. Now, if you'd like to take these deserts and raise lichen, or promise to stick to the oases and vegetables. Hoshik curled back his attention. Retief, you're quite serious. You leave all the fair sand hills to us. The whole works, Hoshik. I'll take the oases. Hoshik rippled his fringes ecstatically. Once again, you have outdone me, Retief, he cried. This time in generosity. We'll talk over the details later. I'm sure we can establish a set of rules that will satisfy all parties. Now I've got to get back. I think some of the gout forms are waiting to see me. Chapter 4 It was nearly dawn when Retief gave the whistled signal he had agreed on with Potter, then rose and walked into the camp's circle. Swayze stood up. There you are, he said. We've been wondering whether to go after you. Lemuel came forward, one eye black to the cheekbone. He held out a raw-boned hand. Sorry I jumped you, stranger. Tell you the truth, I thought you were some kind of stool pigeon from the CDT. Bert came up behind Lemuel. How do you know he ain't Lemuel? He said, maybe he... Lemuel floored Bert with a backward sweep of his arm. Next cog and Pepper says some embassy giant can cool me gets worse than that. Tell me, said Retief, how are you boys fixed for wine? 
Wine, mister, we've been living on stump water for a year now. There'll be fakes with kind of bacteria it takes to ferment liquor. Try this. Retief handed over a squat jug. Swayze drew the cork, sniffed, drank, and passed it to Lemuel. Mister, where'd you get that? The flapjacks make it. Here's another question for you. Would you concede a share on this planet to the flapjacks in return for a peace guarantee? At the end of a half-hour of heated debate, Lemuel turned to Retief. We'll make any reasonable deal, he said. I guess they got as much right here as we have. I think we'd agreed to a fifty-fifty split. That'd give about a hundred and fifty oases to each side. What would you say to keeping all the oases and giving them the desert? Lemuel reached for the wine jug, eyes on Retief. Keep talking, mister, he said. I think you got yourself a deal. Council Passwin glanced up at Retief, went on perusing a paper. Sit down, Retief, he said absently. I thought you were over on Pueblo or Mudflout or whatever they call that desert. I'm back. Passwin eyed him sharply. Well, well, what is it you need, man? Speak up. Don't expect me to request any military assistance, no matter how things that Retief passed a bundle of documents across the desk. Here's the treaty, and a mutual assistance pact declaration and a trade agreement. Eh? Passwin picked up the papers, riffled through them. He leaned back in his chair, beamed. Well, Retief, expeditiously handled. He stopped, blinked at Retief. You seem to have a bruise on your jaw. I hope you've been conducting yourself as befits a member of the embassy staff. I attended a sporting event, Retief said. One of the players got a little excited. Well, one of the hazards of the profession. One must pretend an interest in such matters. Passwin rose, extended a hand. You've done well, my boy. Let's teach you the value of following instructions to the letter. Outside by the hall incinerated drop, Retief paused long enough to take from his briefcase a large buff envelope, still sealed, and drop it in the slot. 